conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder of Yuli and Ngold, Stephanie Ball. Steph is one of the coolest people I know, and I loved hearing about just how organically both of her businesses came to be, because from a consumer perspective, that is how they come across. Brands that were created out of a genuine want and a need for a product rather than a founder just wanting to call themselves a founder. Steph's ties to beauty come through Yuli, a brand centered around elevated bathing rituals that was launched in December of last year with a range including luxury toweling, emphasis on the word luxury, a scent range and a dry body brush. You've likely heard of Steph's first business, furniture and homewares brand Ngold, which began as an Instagram account selling vintage furniture and morphed into a furniture brand that celebrates the design and the workmanship of century-old crafts. What I love most about the story behind both of Steph's businesses is the ways in which she's reconnected with her Filipino heritage throughout the business development process and beyond. She tells one story in particular about connecting with the original maker of the vintage furniture pieces she was selling on Instagram and how through Ngold, he and Steph were able to give all his former workers their jobs back. And that story is still giving me chills even now. In this conversation, Steph shares why the art of ritual is so important to her, why she believes that retail is one of the best industries within which to learn and why she insists her team all spend time in the customer care department and how an American skateboarder, her now husband of 14 years, proposed after two days. I know that you grew up on the Mornington Peninsula with parents from two very different backgrounds. So let's start there. What is your very earliest memory of beauty? Well, yes. So I grew up on the Mornington Peninsula with my dad from Austria and my mum mm-hmm. from the Philippines. Obviously, you know, my mum would be the first biggest influence in my life mm-hmm. when it comes to beauty. And my mum is always the has always been the kind of person who would never leave the house without a full face of makeup. Yep. And she was known for her iconic red lipstick. She oh. always rocked a red lip. Amazing. And I remember being in primary school and it was like a bring your parents to school day mm-hmm. and the other mums complimenting my mum on her lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think I've adapted that. I don't really go anywhere without my lipstick but mm-hmm. mine's definitely more of a nude yeah. <laughs> natural lip but I have adopted that. I can relate to that. My lipstick colour of choice is like what is my normal lip colour and then we'll just put that Enhance on. it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a long way from like the foundation on the lips. Yes. Oh, my God. I was using a full stick of concealer yeah. going, this looks good. <laughs> this is we all really did nice it. We look. all did it. Thank God. Solidarity. Yeah. I know that your approach to beauty now, in particular the way you kind of look at wellness rituals, is connected to your heritage. But Was that always the case? Do you feel that your heritage shaped your outlook on beauty when you were growing up or is that something you kind of discovered a connection to as an adult? I definitely think it's something that's 
have, it's evolved since I've reconnected with my roots through Angold. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, as I've been working more within the Philippines and really kind of reconnecting with my heritage and my culture, I've realised how much we use um, the, the resources and like the everything that's naturally found within the Philippines is what's mm. usually utilised. Yeah. It, from anything in wellness as far as like massage or beauty or, um, yeah, any kind of even craftsmanship, everything is all cultivated locally using local resources. And so as I've been working on my own journey with my own businesses, I've been discovering discovering other businesses that are also operating out of the Philippines and mm. using local materials and local resources. Um, and that's been a really beautiful discovery because mm. it's really exciting to support, yeah, local businesses that are embracing what they're finding in their own country in their own backyard and I feel really connected to it. It has like a deeper meaning. Mm. Yeah. When you were a child, what did you think you were going to grow up to be? I, I've i gone through every career in the book. Um, this I did <laughs> come up in my research. <laughs> yeah. You're not exaggerating. Um, and I get that from my mum. I feel like she's definitely worn many hats. My earliest, my earliest dream would have been something in entertainment, acting, yeah. singing, dancing. I had a stage mum, which is not uncommon with having a Filipino mum. Right. <laughs> so her dream for me was to be an actress. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we discovered, um, I, like I did like child modelling, I did dancing, ah. did all of that. And I think, you know, all of the things that I've done have played a part in like contributing to the skills that I have now and I definitely feel like you use a little bit of everything. So being comfortable speaking in a public space where you would get that from acting classes yep. and dancing and performing, which God, I know I you know about this. that. Yep. Um, not that it's not nerve-wracking at times still but you definitely, uh, you, you, you use some of those skills. Mm. Um, so that would have been my earliest and then it would have, you know, just evolved from there. At one point I wanted to be a dermatologist. I had a dream of a day spa at a young age too. Like I had skin books. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and then my dad was like, are you sure? Like I had to be like 10 or something. And Mm -hmm. he was like, are you sure you want to be a dermatologist? Like you have to look at people's warts and really gross stuff. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to park that. (laughs) Maybe something else. So, yeah. Let's talk about what something else became because if research serves me although you have found yourself in interiors you you went through fashion marketing tourism management this one's particularly (laughs) interesting to me I would love to hear more about this time talk me through I guess the timeline from finishing school to settling into that love for interiors yeah well I think it's really interesting because now that I look back, I think some of my time that I spent trying to navigate where I fit was because I've always been more creative. Yeah. And when I was studying, it was like a creative pathway wasn't necessarily a real career path. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was the kid in high school doing arts and spending lunchtime in the art room and, you know, doing photography and things like that. So I didn't really know how to then 
graduate high school and select a university course that would actually lead to a real yeah. traditional, I yeah. guess, what in the sense job that I could have and pay and, and have a career path. And there's a real pressure. I certainly felt it. I didn't go to a particularly strict school, but it was very much like you will go to university, you will get a quote unquote real job yeah. and that is that is what you will do. Yeah. There wasn't so much yeah, go out and explore. Right. And that's an enormous amount of pressure. For it's crazy. A, like I was 17 when I graduated high school because I was oh. one year younger. So um, like it was just a lot of pressure. But yeah. I never got that from my parents. My parents were always very open to whatever I wanted to do. But my mum said to me, um, I could see you managing a hotel. I don't know where she pulled it from. Honestly, I don't know. Sure. I don't know. So that's where the tourism thing, I didn't actually work in it. I studied it for yeah. six months and realised that it was not my thing. Yeah. Um, so that was just kind of like a wild card. Um, but then I started to look at fashion. So I ended up going to RMIT and studying textiles, clothing and footwear production. Yes. Which was also really different because that course I ended up like in a lab coat testing fibres. So it wasn't like fashion, fashion. So, But whilst I was doing that, I was working as a stylist assistant. So yep. I really found this love in styling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was an assistant doing, you know, editorials. I tried some runway, didn't love it. And I definitely gravi- gravitated towards photo shoots. So again, you can see how that kind of is yeah. also played a part in, in what I do today. And I definitely um, really built on those skills, understanding styling and photo shoots and coordinating that. So I did that for a number of years, I ended up dropping out of uni, my second year mm-hmm. course, dropped out of that one. Um, and then I think I just spent a number of years just being young and like somewhat career focused, but also not. Yeah. So I spent lots of years working for free as a wardrobe assistant, got my first paying job, which was for Spring Fashion Festival. And I was managing a few runways, but I think I was just, it was a really good opportunity, but I was too young. Yeah. Um, because my priority at that time was going out and partying and just living my best life because mm-hmm. I was like 19 or 20. Um, and then I, yeah, so I, then I ended up working in retail, which I think is like, so good for building skills at that age, understanding customer service, sales. Like it really lays a good foundation. Yeah. Um, I would encourage everyone to play, like at least spend some kind of time working in some customer facing role. I was having this conversation with my parents only a week ago because mm. I, I'm in imposter syndrome. I think <laughs> it's every business owner. And I was saying to them, you know what, if everything just went away, I would go back and work in retail. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You learn so much from it. You really do. And, yeah, and, you know, and not every day is different when you work in retail. Yeah. Every company you work for is different. Yeah. So if you, you know, if you're young and you don't know where you want to go and what you want to be, it's okay. Like, and I'll always say that to my children, go work in retail, go work in a restaurant. Yes. Work in a few of them mm-hmm. um, because that's life skills. Yeah. You know, and even when we started in gold, we, at one point, every single person who joined our company started in client care. And they were in client care for ah. at least six months before they moved on. So even if they came on board wow. for marketing, yeah. they started in client care. So 
Yeah, I, and I just I love feel yeah, that. it just it gave them the foundations, understanding what clients were looking for, what were the hurdles, what were the questions being asked, mm. just understanding because if you're working for a brand, ultimately you're selling to a consumer yeah. and you want to know even if you're in something really back end, you want to know what that end consumer is asking and looking for. That's so, so interesting. Yeah, we we definitely made that a focus in our brand. Mm. We don't do it as much now because we've kind of scaled to the point where it's – but it is yeah. definitely still at the forefront on all of our wow. induction and our training. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, I worked in retail for a while and I was living in America. So that was, mm. you know, a pretty hardcore – like they work very hard over there, especially in retail, like yeah. the pressure's on. Um, and I think that that – um, that was like that was like work boot camp. You know, you don't mm. call in sick. You don't. No. <laughs> you you have to show up every day. Like you know, if you don't want to be there, there's already ten other people that are happy to take your job. So yeah. you you work through it and you you build a really strong work ethic. I have seen you know working in America like that's definitely mm. a very strong work ethic over there. So this is not career related, but. It's a nice segue and it's yeah. just a really good story. But um, tell us how you met your husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cheeky question. <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a good story. So I was living in Bondi for um, for a year and finally I had moved to Sydney and I had it in my mind. I was going to be there for one year and after that year, I wanted to go study or live in America. Yeah. I got to America, but a very different route. <laughs> and there wasn't studying involved. So my husband now, Matt, was a professional skateboarder and he was on tour in Australia. Um, and I was I had I was in India at the International Yoga Festival. I came home early. My best friend was meant to be in Bali. She delayed her trip. So we were my girlfriends and I were all excited. Let's go out. Mm-hmm. We were 20, by the way. So, like, <laughs> yep. you know, going out's really important. <laughs> so that was, yeah. So we went out to the Beach Road Hotel. I was went to the bar with my best friend to get another drink and we bumped into this table of American skateboarders who was definitely my my my, <laughs> my cup of tea at the time um and they invited us back to their hotel to her party and um I straight away was like yes for sure mm-hmm. my best friend was like no we're not going but she ended up exchanging phone numbers with one of the guys and coincidentally they ended up married as well oh, okay, so, so we this were, is this friend yes yeah, yeah. um <laughs> Anyway, but meanwhile, our girlfriends are still waiting for us to come back from the bar with our drinks and we ended up in a van on our way to the city (laughs) with these American skateboarders. Um, And I knew Matt for two days. He had this really exciting proposition that if we got married, we would never have to have a winter again. Um, So we could go between America and Australia. I thought that was great. Mm. So we decided to get married and he... We tried to get married in Australia, but it turns out like you can't just get married straight away. Like you have to file, wait, wait a month, get like file for it or something like that. Yeah. But anyways, it wasn't going to happen within the week. He ended up going back to America. I sent him an email and I said, hey, I'm still down to get married if you are. And he said, yeah. So I saved up all my money. Um, I was working part time at a shoe store, yeah. saved up all my money. 
Miranda, my best friend, and I flew over and I got married in Vegas. Love it. Um, and it's been 14 years, two kids, yeah. two brands. Yeah, it, it worked out. I don't recommend everyone doing no, it. No, <laughs> not for everyone. I I mean, thank God he's clearly as spontaneous as you are because yeah. like what a heartbreak that would have been to send an email like, hello, <laughs> would you still like to get married Y slash N? No. Who is this? Yeah. It all worked out for the best. So you spent, I think, six years living in yeah. the US. Six years. You've touched on how different the work environment is over there, but did you notice any differences in the way <laughs> that people over there approach beauty and kind of wellness overall as compared to over here? Well, this we're going back, like I've been back in Australia for eight years now. Okay. So at the time when I was there, I think what I noticed was I was living in LA. Yeah. So the focus on, I guess, natural beauty, organic beauty, um, they were really at the forefront of it. Yeah. Um, I, at the time, was really working in like like vegan whole foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I was really focused on organic natural beauty and I found just a plethora of that in LA. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I don't know whether it was just because I didn't tap into that when I was living in Australia, but I didn't see it here yet. Like I remember discovering kombucha over there before yeah. it was even here. So, um, yeah, I, I think that at least at the time there was a lot of that that hadn't been trickled down into Australia yet and that was really exciting. Mm. Um, but that was a big difference. Where were you at career-wise at this point? Um, well, I was trying to find my feet in LA and I think my biggest focus was just like this guy that I married. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my biggest focus at the time rather than career. But at the same time, I really like being independent. So I had moved over there with this guy and we were married, but I didn't want to rely on him. So I worked at a bar mm-hmm. um, and that was really, really interesting. I had lots of celebrities coming through there oh. and that was like eye-opening for this little girl from the Mornington Peninsula. Um, and then I managed a restaurant. I definitely needed a break from fashion because I had spent so much time building my portfolio and kind of doing that in Australia. So I just was, I was just living my life and yeah, yeah working in hospitality. Um, yeah, I managed a restaurant in downtown LA. And then I, after a few years, I realised I wanted to go back to fashion and I wanted to do something that felt like I was working towards a career. Mm-hmm. So I started all over again because my portfolio was a bit irrelevant oh, over of there. Yeah, yeah. Because I had worked with brands like Maya or neighbor, Neighbours. I did mm. some publicity for them. And so that really wasn't relevant in LA. Um, and, and so I started working for free, building up my portfolio. I was, working in, I was living in Vegas. So I used to drive out to LA every weekend wow. and shoot, come back, go back to my retail job. And I did that for quite some time. Um, and then we decided to move back to Australia. Mm-hmm. I got back to Australia and I was like, okay, so do I go back to styling again? Because I just spent all this time in LA building a pretty healthy portfolio, but I didn't have all the contacts. So I kind of felt like I was starting at ground zero again. Right. And that's when Matt suggested interior design. And I just, it's like my whole world opened up. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> 
I just never considered it. Um, so I went back to uni and I absolutely loved it. And I think there's a, you know, I had done two, tried and kind of dropped out of two uni courses before then. So I think there's something to say that like maturity wise, when you're ready, then, you know, yeah. you kind of really find yourself in like, for me, like studying wasn't really a focus, but when I found what it was that I really enjoyed, I went in like 150%. So I did really well at uni and then I was interning outside of uni because I think my experience in the fashion world, I understood, you know, in a highly competitive industry that's quite creative, you just need to start getting your foot in the door. Yeah, it's so not enough to get to the end of the course and get the piece of paper and be like, I look forward to being employed now. Yeah. Pretty much. Who will have me? And I think like, you know, it's not like we, you know, I would never expect anyone to work for free and we've never had people interning for us ever that, you know, doesn't get paid. But for my journey, I was happy to put in the hours because it meant that when I graduated uni, I had a job straight away. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any, yeah, there was no gap. So I went straight into working, which worked really well for me. Where to from here? When did interiors become furniture specifically and then what led you to end gold? When I was interning, so I interned for Georgia Ezra for a couple of years who now is one of my really good girlfriends um, and we've, you know, kept a really beautiful friendship since then. But um, I totally forgot I said this and she reminded me. When I was interning for her, I had said to her, I would love to own a furniture store. Like oh. I want to work in furniture. I just envision having this furniture store one day. And then I went into interior design and totally forgot that yep. I was doing that. I said that. So when Engel kind of you know fast forward came about, she reminded me I said that, and I was like, oh, let's just just be careful what you put out there. Yeah. You know? um, and that's kind of been my my thing my my whole life. Like I have these ideas and then I forget about them and then they end up coming into fruition. So Mm. um, Engold came about when I was working in interior design but I had my first baby and I was on maternity leave and have really busy hands so I decided, you know, newborn baby, great time to just sell all my furniture and redecorate. (laughs) What else have I got to do? So I started doing that and my girlfriend um, Sarah said to me, oh, you know, like you should start an Instagram account because you're finding all this really great stuff. And I was like, absolutely not. Because at one point I had a vintage Etsy store in America and I, you know, remembered doing all this work to take photos and then measurements and putting it up online and then as soon as it sells you start all over again Mm because that's the nature of vintage and I was like I just can't do that. Um, But then I was at home with Matt one day and we were like, you know, a bottle of wine deep and I was like I'm just going to start an Instagram and that's honestly how it happened like even our logo like we original our original logo had like lines like a like sunset lines yes if you looked at it really closely at the time like none of the lines are evenly spaced because <laughs> I just slapped it together and I was like if this ends do. up turning into something I'll fix it later like I was yep. just very loosey about it so that's the way to do it though it's the uh, who's, the name escapes me but the founder of LinkedIn said that if you look back at the first version of whatever it is you're doing and you're not embarrassed by it, then you started too late. Yeah. Like if you're spending all this time agonising over, oh, do the lines all Love match that. up? Yeah. You yeah, should you have just done it do earlier. It. Exactly. Yeah. 
I'm very much that kind of person. I have the idea, just do it. Mm. You know, it hasn't steered me too wrong yet. Um, but yeah, I definitely tweak as I go along. Sure. So, um, yeah, we started buying and selling vintage furniture and I was staying, uh, like we lived in this little like beachside cottage at the time. It was two bedroom. I was and about to say storage for <laughs> furniture. We used to open our bedroom door and you just couldn't even walk down the hallway. Mm-hmm. It was just stacked to the ceiling with furniture. Um, and, yeah, it was just, it was really fun. It was wholesome. I used to have to completely take all the furniture out of my living room, put the items in that I was going to sell, shoot it, style it, put everything back in. I got really strong, pretty fit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then eventually we um, started working towards doing our own collection. So it evolved. Yeah. So (laughs) at what point did that evolution take place? At what point did you start to think, ooh, maybe we could be designing and producing our own pieces? Yeah, I think it was about a year in when I thought, you know what, like we sold that vintage collection within like three seconds. If yeah. I, and then there was like 20 more people wanting it. So if I had 20 of that product, I could have made 20 sales. And I feel like that's conservative as well because I remember how it would work with the first person to yeah. comment sold. <laughs> and yeah. there'd, be, there'd be people like three hours later still commenting sold. Scroll up. <laughs> Look, use your eyes. I know, I know. And like I just I remember also – just thinking, I'm so tired of people like turning people away and saying, no, yeah. it's not available. No, I, I can't sell this to you. I wanted to be more helpful and yeah. like be able to, you know, supply these people who were so graciously wanting to shop with us. So mm-hmm. we started, I had actually originally started with a return collection, which a lot of people didn't actually know because it never saw the light of day. I was about to say this is news to me. Yeah, I had gotten all of our savings and I had created this little return collection and it was delayed and delayed and then it finally came and everything was wrong and it was like I was standing in this container yard and I was just like turning my back to the supplier and just like wiping my tears and then like pulling myself together because I just had such aspirations with it. But, you know, everything in business is a lesson and it was pivotal but it was the best thing that could have ever happened because then it made me think, do you know what, I've got this other idea about marble plinths. Mm -hmm. Such a basic thing but I can't find a marble plinth anywhere. There was like nowhere I could get a marble plinth. So that prompted our first collection and, yeah, it just kind of, we just grew from there. You mentioned earlier that there is a really beautiful tie-in between your heritage and what you're doing with Engold now. Mm. Can you talk us through it? How have you woven your heritage through what you're doing with the brand? Well, what ended up happening was we, um, Engold already started to kind of be known for reselling these fossil stone pieces. Yes. And, um, I was trying to do my due diligence and learn about these products. I couldn't find any information about them really. I I knew that some of the pieces could be or were referred to as Mactan stone, which is an island in the Philippines, but I didn't know whether that was where it was originally from. I didn't know if that's just one place. I just couldn't find anything. Um, 
But nonetheless, I was still searching like Australia-wide for these pieces and getting them couriered to me in Melbourne and then couriering them out to our customers around Australia. I just couldn't find enough of them. But I found a piece one day that was said like made in the Philippines. So I was like, okay, I think I'm pretty sure these are made in the Philippines. And I started talking to my mum and she started talking to her friends and I ended up um, connecting with now our our business partner, um, Jerry, and he was the original maker of these pieces. So I emailed him wow. and I had asked him, like, do you know anything about these? And he said, oh, yeah, I made them. And he used to supply Australia. Wow. So that was, like, really exciting. And I said, that's great. Like, can we reignite these designs? Like, what, like, who, like, how can we do this? So we placed our first order on, like, five key pieces and it sold out in an hour. Wow. And the story with Jerry is that, you know, this craft it had been around for decades, but they were really, there was a lot of workshops on the island at the time and all of them went out of business because what had happened is that it really became a trend. It was like a flash in the pan. And then with trends, they die and everyone moved on. It was like that 80s Roman furniture trend yeah. aesthetic and so everyone kind of moved on and um all of the workshops closed down and then the global economic crisis hit and that was like the nail in the coffin yep so jerry had gone from you know hundreds of workers in his factory to 20 oh, and he was literally about to shut shop and so we look back now and we're like what a beautiful thing if you just kind of envision that he was in the philippines just hanging on by a thread yeah. And here I was in Australia, like scrambling to find all of these secondhand yeah. pieces. And so we find our, our paths connected. And um, yeah, we, as I was learning more and more about it, I realized that there's been like a, there's been a like a gap here with representing my heritage, mm. which is my Filipino heritage. With this furniture, yeah, we I wanted to rewrite the narrative around it and really proudly represent the hands that are making it because that was what was missing. No one knew the story, and the thing is about this furniture is that it is incredible. Like the mm. way that it's made, the respect to the environment, all the stone is hand cultivated. It's minimum wastage because we we carve everything into stone tiles. So, wow. you know, there's just. It's just and everything is like hand, handmade from start to finish. There's a lot of heart and soul in it. Mm-hmm. So it became a real celebration. And as our workshop grew, we were able to give the jobs back to all of those people oh. who had lost their businesses over the years. So some of them weren't working for 15 years. Wow. And now they work with us and they're working in our workshop. And so, yeah, there's a real mutual respect amongst all of us and we're family and jerry is honestly like you know we we operate as one company we're one united voice um they uh you know work very we work very closely with each other and he stays in my home when he comes here and how beautiful my family and i are about to move over there in two weeks time so we're going to be officially working and living um over in the philippines it's going to be a nice Chat, new chapter yeah. and funnily the day we arrive 
is Engold's fifth birthday. Are you kidding? And I did not, like, we did not coordinate that. Or, that was not sixty-five days in a year and Crazy. that's the one. That was the day. I actually thought our wow. birthday was, like, on the 27th of mm. June. And um, our GM said, no, 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 it's on the 10th of June. I was like, that's crazy. That's the day that we arrive. So it's just the like, universe. yeah, the universe. New chapter, our fifth birthday. So wow. everything's kind of pointing in like that we're on the right path and it's, yeah, very exciting. Oh, but that's wild. Just as far as like connecting with my heritage goes, it's, um, yeah, it's been like a real personal journey for me. So I even have like my own cousins working in the workshop. Oh, and I love it just, that. It just becomes like, yeah, a really beautiful, wholesome um, family-run project. So, yeah. Love it. We've got to touch on the wellness of it all, as is the nature of the podcast. Yes. So you're a mother, you're running this really rapidly growing business. The fact that it's five years is mind-blowing to me because I just feel like it's existed for such a long time I know that the the idea of rituals and maintaining that kind of space for self-care in your life is very important to you but were you still prioritizing those rituals when you were at your busiest are they something that was kind of keeping you sane or did they fall by the wayside I when I look back on like the peak of this growth boom that we had I feel like I was not prioritising my wellness yep. at all um, and that's what really prompted me to kind of take ownership over that and take mm-hmm. control. The burnout was real, like just with the fatigue and the stress came, you know, really unhealthy habits like drinking a few too many glasses of wine at the end of the yep. night, not exercising, not eating well, not taking care of investing in myself and my own mental state. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I just came to a point where I was like, I just feel icky, like I feel really yuck and I need to start focusing on my own self-care so that I can be a better mum, a better employer, a better leader, a better everything, wife, daughter. Um, so I started to really focus on not making it not making it such a priority and focus that it almost became like another thing on my to-do list but it yep. needed to be a, like it needed to work within my busy schedule and it needed to give me relief so i think just almost unintentionally but intentionally i just started using the moments that i had in my day no matter how small they were to kind of just give myself space to recuperate and re- just unwind and, and just kind of silence the noise a little bit. Mm-hmm. So um, I would make sure I would take time out of the week to get a massage. Yeah. Then within my own time it was like breathing exercises, meditation, turning the lights off when I have a shower. Mm. Like so powerful. Yeah. <laughs> but it just... Like it's just like a sensory break. You told me that at the Yuli launch and I yeah. do it now. Love do you? it. Yeah. Oh, amazing. It's such a simple thing. It's so nice. I just – and my kids do it. My five-year-old daughter, like if she is coming into the shower, she's like, I need the lights off, I need to relax. 
just yeah. like that. Because I've got my lights off relaxing shower and then yep. I've got my uh, very bright lights trying to scrub off my old fake tan <laughs> shower. Very different shower. It depends what day of the week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we all have those. Like I would dry body brush and things like that. But yeah. Yeah. And, and then, you know, once I started turning off the lights, it was like, okay, I'm going to light a candle. Yep. I'm going to, you know... I'm not having my phone, not that you would bring it into the shower, but just not oh, having have, it in there. If I'm listening to a podcast or something, I've got it on the little carrier and it's a totally different atmosphere. You don't switch off. Like no. I would even find that if it was sitting on the bathroom counter and I saw the screen light up and it was an email, I'd be just checking, yep. you know. And I just, I, I'm like, okay, you've got 15 minutes out of your day. It's not good. Like just yeah. put it away. So um, there were just the small things that I started to do that made a really powerful difference and then it kind of grew from there. So, yeah. I, yeah. At what point did you begin to conceptualise Yuli? At what point did this go from something that you were kind of consciously doing and making time for to, hmm, there might be a business in this? When did the idea kind of first come to you? It came to me, I want to say, two or three years ago. Yeah. Um, and it was purely because I've had a weird obsession with a really plush luxury towel. Yeah. Um, it was like always, like anyone close to me in my family, like that was my go-to present. You get a set of towels and like a nice hand soap or something mm-hmm. like that. That was my go-to present. So investing in towels has just always been my jam. Yeah. But I was finding that I wasn't – the products that I was finding and I was buying just weren't hitting the nail on the head. Mm-hmm. I felt like there was a little bit of a niche there for a really, really beautifully elevated towel that's paired back. It's not bright coloured. It's not patterned. But it's just the beauty is in the, the plushness and the he- the weight and – um, and that's what I'm always looking for. Like I, I'm not necessarily wanting to make a statement out of my towels. I want to feel them. Yeah. And I wanted to – I always want to bring that day spa experience home or that five-star luxury hotel because it's like like it's like the best feeling. You know, yeah. when you stay at a hotel Truly. and you get out of the shower or the bath and you wrap yourself around those towels and they're heavy, um, It you, you can feel – like it just feels yeah. elevated. So – I wanted to bring that home and I think during COVID we were at home so much and I was just really lusting for that and I knew that there was a gap in the standard that I was looking for but it took me a really long time for that to come into fruition because I had kids and I had Angold and that was taking up 150% of my time. So I had the idea and I'm kind of a firm believer that when you – when you have an idea, like just let it kind of marinate and come into fruition in its own time. It will manifest itself. Mm-hmm. So I didn't put myself in any kind of position where I was like, okay, I've got this idea and I need to start actioning. I need to come up with a brand name. I need to be st- like building a strategy. Like I just, I'd never, I haven't done that for either of these brands. Um, I let it really come very organically to me. I started looking at 
of researching and understanding and then this this taps into like my early studies because I already had that background knowledge on fibres funnily enough. Like when I told people yeah. I used to be in a lab coat testing fibres, it seems so random but no, so full funny, circle. full circle. Um, so, yeah, I have an understanding for fibres and, and how they wear and wash and what I should be looking for and so... Yeah, I started doing some light research and then I'd park it. A few months later, I'd come back to it. Mm -hmm. And eventually I came to Turkish Cotton and I found this incredible um, clean energy program manufacturer that everything is, you know, sustainable and um, it's certified organic. Wow. And I had said to my manufacturer, if money is no object, um, what is the most premium, premium cotton that we can, that money can buy? So we got a couple of samples and we did like a blind field test mm-hmm. and um, everyone unanimously chose this one sample which ended up being the Yuli tail today. Um, yeah, so the the actual brand itself, it took its own shape. Like I didn't, I knew that we were going to be selling a elevated towel. Yeah. But the actual messaging of the brand and its focus on wellness and bathing rituals I think that just came organically from my own interests. Yeah, what I would be looking for, what resonates with me, um, and when that happened, the brand kind of formed its own identity, and everything fell into place so quickly. Like just even the aesthetics, and um, yeah, what the actual product itself was, what we were going to say. You know, we created the bathing rituals playlist because I mm-hmm. would you know, be having my showers with the lights off, wanting to listen to like really relaxing music. Yep. So I started to share all of that and we created the Yuli Bathing Rituals step-by-step guide. I didn't realise like how simple the actual like step-by-step ritual was, but sorry, I, I felt that it is quite simple changes, but a lot of people yeah. didn't even think about it when I you know like you had said like turning the lights off and it just wasn't something that most people didn't even think about doing so I was like I want to share this so yeah yeah. that's on that little the card that has the steps there was there's an episode of the Imperfects podcast and Ryan Shelton was talking about how probably in the last 12 or so months he makes a conscious effort to just be doing one thing at a time and I think it plays into that because previously I would be, you know, showering or doing my skincare and then I would also be listening to an interview with someone that I might be interviewing and then sort of taking notes at the same time and then also refreshing my emails and, oh, I've got to do this later, I better write that down. Whereas having the little step-by-step, I'm like, I don't know, this is all I'm doing in this moment. It doesn't need to be more complicated than these steps in front of me. Yeah. And I think there's like such a powerful, um, I guess like a, a just it's just uh, empowering to ha- take control over mm. the noise. You know, yeah. we all live really busy lifestyles. So to turn off whatever it is that you need to listen to or the emails and mm. just taking that time for yourself because time is like for me and for most people is the most precious thing. Like yeah. I'm always struggling for time. There's not enough time in the day. There's not enough time in the day. So it's like 
how can I keep going at 150% if I can't just give myself 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what became really important. And I'm always really strongly encouraging all of the people who are closely around me to give themselves that. I see a lot of other women who are in business and I see the burnout and they're working till 2 o'clock in the morning and then they've got yep. kids and they're trying to survive on four hours, five hours sleep and their anxiety is through the roof or, you know, they're they're starting to lose hair or, you mm. know, and because stress has some really major impact on your, on your body it's and your health. Big time. Um, I was listening to a podcast about, you know, the effects on the brain from the constant like stress that, mm. and it literally shrinks your brain. So um, I want to live a long and healthy life for my children and it's an injustice for them to, for me to kind of not only burn out and not take care of myself when, you know, they just want their mum. Yeah. And, and that's the most, they don't, they're not going to care about, my work and what I'm doing, not, not now, they just want me to be present and so I really just made it a priority. Mm. All of that in mind, given that you were saying the whole kind of concept for Yuli did evolve pretty naturally, if you were to sum it up, this might be a broad question, what would you characterise as the kind of overall vision for Yuli or the message the overall vision for Yuli would be that it's, you know, elevating your bathing rituals. It's taking it back to really, um, it's taking it back to, you know, the years where once upon a time, like we used to have to take hours out of our day to bathe. Bathing yeah. was intentional. Yeah. You know, it was like you look at the Hamans and the Onsens and mm. different cultures. It's it's really like bathing was a whole orchestrated thing. Mm-hmm. And as we've evolved, it's become less and less of a priority and it's become more like a chore, like I've just got to shower in the morning really quickly and then jump out and then get on with my day. So I want... Yuli is about taking it back to that and just slowing it down. And, yes, we might not have an hour out of our day to, to bathe. If only. If only. But we can make that happen within our busy lifestyles. So it's really about elevated bathing rituals and making it applicable to modern times. Mm-hmm. Social media has changed pretty dramatically since the days of commenting sold mm. on the End Gold <laughs> Instagram did you have a specific launch strategy in place with Yuli or did that come pretty organically as well? Well, it goes back to my approach of just do it. Yeah. Like so, um, it was, I, you know, I, I have a team with me now that probably work on strategizing more than I would. I would mm-hmm. just put it out there and be like, awesome, ta-da, ta-da it's out there. Um, so they built a little bit more of a strategy around it and we have um, a great PR team and we've been working with them. But I think the idea, I mean, obviously it's very different to Engold because Engold started with absolutely no intention yeah. and kind of grew, um, whereas Yuli we launched it with the intention of it being a brand. So mm. I could use some of the things that I learned over the years with Engold and apply it to Yuli ahead of time rather than kind of catching up later on. Um but 
you know, it's definitely still in its infancy and where it is going to evolve to and grow to, I'm letting the path kind of lead its own Mm -hmm. way, which has been my approach with both businesses. Um, And so far that steered me in the right direction. I'm a very like intuitive kind of person. Mm. So I'll go where it feels right. The range doesn't just encompass towels. At present, there's also a scent range and a dry body brush. Talk to me about scent. How did you go about developing fragrance? What were your kind of non-negotiables there? And then what challenges did that present as compared to developing furniture and homewares? Yeah, it's so different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my, me personally, my biggest challenge with Yuli in comparison to Engold was having to design packaging. Yeah, okay. <laughs> And it's kind of like unrelated but related. Like like the packaging thing, it's just so tedious mm. and it was like so much back and forth. But um, the scent range was developed because – you know, again, just creating that amazing day spa experience at home. I wanted to um, give our customers the opportunity to scent their towels so that when you do step out of the shower, you wrap yourself in your towel and you can smell this incredible, deep, woody Mm. day spa smell. It's a sensory experience. Our our step-by-step rituals focus on like each each sense and calming your senses. Yeah. So obviously smell is going to be one of those um, senses. So the scents are all made locally here in Melbourne. Um, and that one kind of also fell into my lap because I had this vision for mm-hmm. this product and came across this beautiful local maker. And I think we had approached a couple of manufacturers offshore before and some here And they didn't quite understand what it was. I mean, I was trying to explain to them, I want to make a scent to put on woolen balls to put in the dryer. And they're like, no idea what you're doing. (laughs) They're like, so an essential oil? No, can't be an oil. You know, it's flammable and stuff like that. So um, I connected with this local maker and she just saw the vision and developed the product and we tested it out and it's just, it was perfect. So... Now we, like I, those, the scented dryer balls are non-negotiable mm-hmm. in every single washing load I do. So yep. you pop them in the dryer and it will scent my whole house. So, Amazing. you know, it's like, you know, that smell of fresh laundry in the dryer and it makes, mm-hmm. it just feels like your house, it's just comforting. Yeah. Well, we've got our scent with our organic woolen balls. So mm. you pop them in the dryer, it de-statics your um your towels and your sheets you can use a few bed sheets and it infuses them with the scent so um yeah and our scent is we've got the one signature scent at the moment which is a really deep woody um rich scent so Mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's definitely uh, it's it's just a way of kind of turning it up a notch when it comes to your sheets or your towels Talk to me about dry body brushing. Why is this such an important ritual for you? Well, I think it kind of pays homage to like the hammams, like you see yeah. in the hammams, you know, the scrubbing, the like obviously not only does it have amazing like lymphatic draining prop like um, properties. Properties is where I <laughs> is it gone properties? With that? Yeah. 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 Um, 
but you know like obviously exfoliating but it's just like I almost find it like a um like a rejuvenating Mm -hmm. process you know at the end of the week on the weekend you're feeling a bit stale from a busy week it's like a rebirth you know you just draining everything you're getting rid of your dead skin cells which sounds a bit ick but it's no, like it's everything and then you get in the shower you wash it off and it's like a new skin mm-hmm. and um for me it's a non-negotiable um at least once a week if not more um because you I, I I feel the difference in my skin but it's also like a mental yeah, mental rejuvenation that. as well so um, we've incorporated that in Yuli as well. And I think, you know, as I'm saying this too, I'm thinking I could definitely see Yuli like as I become interested in different things, just adding it to the range yeah. um, as I go on my own personal journey. And I love yeah, that. That's where it's kind of like, yeah, labour of love, I guess. Yuli yeah. is inextricably linked to beauty. So by that token, you are a part of the beauty industry. Over, let's say, the last few years, what are some of the biggest changes that you have seen within the beauty space? Well, it's very new to me. I've always been in the interiors world, so I definitely don't know if I have any kind of expert opinion. But I can say that, um, you know, obviously people are a lot more conscious of what they're putting in and on their body. Mm. Um, I think that goes, that travels all across any kind of consumer product, like even with furniture, people want to know where it's come from, how it's made, what's mm. in it, um, and is it is it healthy? Is it you know toxic? So, I've definitely seen that. For me personally, natural ingredients is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, organic when I can, um, and. I've definitely seen that, yeah, not just in the beauty world but also interiors, I guess, as well and also in food. So um, that's been a big change, I guess, that I've seen and that's been a big focus for us with Yuli as well, just making sure that it is, you know, clean, organic, Mm -hmm. sustainable. And what changes do you think we can expect to see over the coming few years? Um, I think that people are just becoming smarter and more educated and brands are having to be more transparent yeah um and and having a responsibility to ensure that they are very transparent with their consumers so i think there's going to be a lot of uh that continuing to evolve maybe more so from even bigger brands you see it a lot from small boutique brands really understanding that that's the direction that most people are mm-hmm. hoping, like that, you know, we want to connect with brands that are really um, ethically focused and yeah. and environmentally as well. Um, yeah, so I would just continue seeing that evolving and growing, and um, and 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 consumers also being a little bit more switched on as well with what they're putting on in, in their bodies. My final question: What is next for Yuli? It's a good question. I think it's as I keep evolving, (laughs) we'll keep, the brand will keep evolving. Like it's a new space for me. It started off just wanting a really yummy towel and it opened me up to this beauty world. Um, And now that I'm going on my own personal journey, living in the Philippines, I'm really excited about discovering and kind of tapping into some different products, ingredients that haven't been shared with 
other countries like mm. Australia, I know that there's ingredients over there that are local that local brands might be using that it hasn't really been shared yet and I'm really excited about discovering that. That was Stephanie Ball, founder of Yuli and Engold, which you can find on Instagram at Y-O-L-I underscore H-A-U-S and at E-N dot underscore gold. To read more, you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me. The Glow Journal podcast would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced. We pay our respects to elders past and present.